I want to say a big uh, thank you again from me personally to Colin and Caitlin as well. And uh, their, their family, the Fassler family, has been very special to my family um, ever since we lived in the area several years ago now. And uh, just have kept up with them over the years, and they have uh, just constantly been a, a source of joy and friendship and love for us. So we're just really thankful. So I'm, I'm thankful to be back in town and be able to have them just like right here. It's great. So uh, they, I, I remember Javen graduated from high school down at Pekin when we were in East Peoria, and we're there at the church. And of course, you know, you have no idea who's going to show up because it was in the middle of the pandemic, right? And we had his reception. We had all these cupcakes. We're all ready to go. And here came the Fastlers in the door and uh, we weren't expecting it or anything. It was a great, great thing. So we're just really thankful for you guys. And so thanks for serving us in that way. Um, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open to Micah chapter 5. That's where we're going to be camped out today. We've been kind of marching through as we do. We've been marching through the book of Micah. And uh, I will give you a little sneak peek because we've got a few weeks left in Micah still, but I think I've made the decision on where we need to go next with the sermon. So the next book we're going to be preaching through after we get done with Micah is the book of Philippians. We're going to go back into the New Testament. And so... Um, pretty pretty excited about that so anyway that's something to look forward to in the future and that'll take us literally all the way to christmas and probably beyond it uh, at the pace i go so uh anyway we may be in philippians the entire year just kidding but uh, anyway it's really good to be with you thank you for joining us if you're online thanks for joining really excited to be able to share god's word with you this morning but i want to ask you a question to start out with i want you to you don't have to answer this out loud you can just think about it okay because it could get really confusing if everybody's yelling all right but i want you to think about this can you think of a time in your life where you were in danger and you needed to be rescued where you were in danger you needed to be rescued maybe you were lost uh, maybe you were trapped or you just needed someone to save you from some undesired outcome in your life. Okay, think of that time, kind of get that in your head. I remember when I was growing up as a, as a boy in Winterset, Iowa, um, I lived on a dead-end street. And right, so the dead-end was here, we lived here, and then there was just a cornfield. And on the other side of the cornfield was uh, a street, and then across that, the public pool. Now there's houses throughout all that. The street actually goes through. But back then it was a dead end on a cornfield. And we would play in the cornfield and the farmer would get upset at us. But uh, back then, there was one particular day and it had snowed quite a bit. And as it's prone to do in central Iowa, if you know anything about central Iowa. And since we live at roughly exactly the same, <laughs> the same latitude, uh, we know all about that. So it snowed quite a bit, and my best friend Dave and I were out playing in the snow. We were walking along the hay bales. There was a row of hay bales uh, across that cornfield, and across the road, there's a big row of hay bales. And we, the snow was, I mean, it snowed a lot, right? And so we're just walking along the tops of the hay bales, because uh, if you've ever done that, it's a lot of fun, right? Uh, but the snow was actually, it snowed so much that it had piled up between in the gaps between the bales where the farmer had them and it actually had like come all the way up and was level because of the drifting and everything so you could literally walk right across this plane of snow on top of the hay bales so we're walking along and all of a sudden dave starts to sink and he he sinks between the hay bales and he sinks so far that his arms are up like this he's up past his armpits so 
He's got, and you know, if you're stuck like this, there's no leverage. You can't, I mean, especially for a kid, right? And you can't get out. He's stuck and he's, you know, he's wiggling back and forth, you know, trying to get out and kicking and, you know, and I'm pulling on him. And finally, I got him pulled out and got him back up. And so we're both sitting there on top of this hay bale and we're looking down in this hole, a perfect oval that he had, you know, because of all his moving and wiggling, his perfect oval. And he's looking down and we're looking at it. And Dave looks a little closer as he's prone to do. And uh, he falls in head first. And so now, and I told him I was telling this story this weekend. I said, hey, I'm, I'm used to use a sermon illustration. And he, 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 he was excited about that, by the way. I, I was like, are you sure this is okay? Um, I don't always check with people, but I check with him. Anyway, uh, so he falls in head first. And so it's basically just like from here down, sticking out of this hole. And he's sunk all the way down. And I can hear very lightly him saying, oh, 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 oh. And he's, I mean, he's screaming and he's kicking. And finally, I get him by the legs, and somehow I get him pulled out. Now, in the book of Micah, you're probably saying, that's a funny story, Pastor, but what in the world does this have to do with the book of Micah? Well, in the book of Micah, as we've been reading, Micah had been prophesying about the judgment of God that was coming upon Israel and Judah due to their breaking of his covenant. They had rebelled against God. They'd were in the line of his sure judgment. They were going to face judgment. Micah's telling him about that, right? For the first three chapters, he's telling about them. Still, though, we said last week, there was this faithful remnant of, of, of Jews who um, would be assured that when the, uh, Israel was restored and Messiah came and ruled from the earth, that they would, they would be restored and be, uh, be there serving the Lord. And then, though, after all this kind of bleakness with some some talk of this remnant. We have this abrupt turn last week in chapter four where, where God says there's restoration coming. There's hope coming. So amidst all this judgment and this, this misery that was coming upon them, there was this message of hope. There was hope coming. And Micah was encouraging the remnant of righteous ones that were still faithful that they should cling to the hope because the Lord God had a plan for their rescue and restoration. It wouldn't happen in the way they would have planned it or the way they likely would have imagined it. But Messiah was coming to rescue and restore. And he was coming to rescue and restore in a way that they definitely did not expect it. And that's where we're going to pick up in Micah chapter 5, verse 1. So if you've got your Bible, follow along with me. We're actually going to read again the whole chapter. And this one is a little bit longer. But we're going to read Micah chapter 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she is... When she who is in labor has given birth, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. And they shall dwell secure for now. He shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our places, 
Then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man nor wait for, a ch- for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And in, the day, in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you and will destroy your chariots. And I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. And I will cut off sorceries from your hand. And you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. And I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you. And you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. And I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, uh, there's a lot here. God, there's a lot that at first reading we kind of raise our eyebrows at. We wonder, what does that mean? Some of it we recognize. Some of it we don't know at all. God, we pray that the meaning of your word would be clear. God, I pray you would speak through your word to your people. God, I pray that you would be clear. That if there's anything that's just of me, that I, where I, I, in my flesh, try to make it about me in any way, take that away, God. And have this be for you and about you only, Jesus. Be big, Jesus. May I decrease and you increase. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, absolutely central to the book of Micah is this promise. It's the promise that God will send his promised king to reign on earth and Israel will be restored. God will send his promised king, Messiah, to reign on earth and Israel will be restored. Now, in in this section that we read today, we find what is thought to be, and I would agree probably is, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Now, I say that a lot, like I'm reading and people are like, oh, that's one of the most famous verses in the Bible. And there's a lot of verses in the Bible, so I'm like... How many most famous verses are there, right? But this seems to be one of the most famous. Verse 2 is routinely read during the Christmas season as as it's Micah, who's giving some fairly specific criteria that this coming promised king would have to meet. So in the Old Testament, God had given clues about the upcoming, excuse me, the identity of the coming king, of Messiah. And we look back and realize and recognize that that's Jesus. But in the Old Testament, he had given clues about this. It was prophesied that he would be from the line of David. Now, God had made a promise to David. And in his covenant with David, he promised him that the heir of David would sit on the throne forever. And David was from this little town called Bethlehem. You may have heard of it. Which is why Bethlehem is referred to as the city of of David, because it's the city King David came from. It's where his line had come from. But here, in this passage, we have Micah telling the Jews and telling us that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem as well. So he's coming through the line of David. In fact, not just from the line of David, he's going to be from the city of David. In Micah 
chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, I know that's a word you use all the time, by the way. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Folks, understand, Bethlehem, not a big city, okay? Not a center of metropolitan activity, all right? It was insignificant nationally and globally, other than, at this point, being where David was from. This was not, a, this was not akin to New York City or Chicago or Cairo or even Jerusalem. I guess, I guess you could say Bethlehem was a little bit like Dixon, Right? They had David, we have Reagan. Okay, it's not really the same. It's not really the same. Not really the same. But routinely, routinely in Scripture, we find God doing something incredible. We find God using what the world sees as insignificant to do something astounding. God uses insignificant things, or what the world sees as insignificant things, to do something astounding. So you've got this little town... This kind of seemingly insignificant place. And here's Micah saying, hey, that's the place. That's where the king is going to come from. And we can start to understand why that would have been kind of hard for some of the folks in that time to understand or to kind of get on board with. Anyway, from this insignificant place was going to come the one who was sent to rule on God's behalf, the Messiah, the promised one, the one who would be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Now, that's important to remember. It's important to remember because this wasn't just someone who was coming to rule and reign, but also to be God with us. Now, his coming forth is said to be from old, from ancient of days here. So what do we understand from that? Well, his authority extends into eternity past. He was part of the sovereign plan of God. From ages past, Jesus, Messiah, was set to come and rule and reign. And we see little glimpses of that throughout the Old Testament. We have the whole word of God now. And the ability to look back at events that have already happened, right? We've got the whole thing now, right? That they did not have yet. So we can look back. We've got hindsight. Um, We've got the Bible And we can look back and see events that have already happened that were foretold and then happened. But the prophets struggled to understand from the glimpses that they saw in this this hidden mystery of God's plan of redemption. They struggled to see and understand that it wasn't just one advent that was being foretold and prophesied about. There wasn't just one coming of Messiah that was being foretold about. It was actually two advents, which is why I called this message Advent Times Two. Because there was the first advent, Jesus, born in Bethlehem to a virgin named Mary. God in the flesh, coming and living as a suffering servant, which we'll get to in a minute. And then there's a second coming, a second advent, where he's the conquering king, coming to rule and reign forever. And throw away, destroy every evil and sin and wickedness. So we have the whole word, we can look back at that, but... Messiah would come twice, and the prophets, through the glimpses they got and the messages they got of this, did not fully understand what those were, and they struggled with it. They would struggle with it. Ephesians chapter 3 shows us that 
the fact that Messiah would be Savior, okay, not just Messiah and, and ruling king, but Savior, that that fact was hidden from the prophets. The prophets had a glimpse of what it was, uh, what it would look like, but again, they still wrestled with understanding what their prophecies meant in full. One scholar that I read said this. Uh, he said, it's easy to understand why the prophets would struggle with this. God allowed them to have glimpses into the future, but for them it was like looking at a mountain range off in the distance. We can relate to them in this. From miles away, the mountain peaks all look very close to one another. Stand on one of those peaks, however, and you will notice that deep canyons or vast valleys separate them. They're really not close together at all. When the prophets saw events in the future, they had no way of knowing the time gaps between them. And in the case of Messiah, of the Messiah, God shielded from the prophets the knowledge that he was going to send the Messiah not once but twice, and there would be a lengthy period of time in between the two. Now, he would go on to point out, actually, that this is one reason that Jews today don't believe in Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah. Because he doesn't fit their expectations of what Messiah would be like. Because remember, they don't, they don't, they don't jive with the, the two advents, right? They don't understand that. They don't get that, and they reject it. He doesn't fit their expectations of what Messiah would be like. Uh, and isn't that just like humans? Isn't that just like us? Where we develop expectations based on our understanding of something... And then when people don't meet what we are expecting, instead of taking them as they are, taking it as it is, we get all upset and reject it. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. Happens in pop culture with, you know, there's a big movie coming out and everybody has certain expectations for what's going to happen. And then when that thing doesn't happen, the fans of that movie or that franchise get all upset and angry. The Jews were expecting a political king who would once and for all conquer the enemies of Israel. They expected a military leader. They certainly did not expect someone who would be crucified. They rejected him as cursed. They rejected Jesus as cursed because, look, understand, they knew the Scriptures, and they, they understood from the Scriptures that anyone hung on a tree was cursed. Deuteronomy twenty one twenty three says, His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Then in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, it says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles. They understood the Messiah to come one time and not two. So the fact that he would, that Jesus would claim to be the Son of God, would claim to be God, and would be crucified, that they saw as a curse, and they understood to be a curse, and they thought Messiah's only coming once, and this guy gets killed, and they don't believe in the resurrection. So it makes sense that they'd have a hard time understanding the gospel. They would have a hard time understanding Christianity in general. But they were mistaken. They acted, listen, they acted out of wrong belief. They had a wrong belief and they acted out of that. And if we have wrong beliefs, we will act out of them as well. This is why good doctrine and knowing the whole counsel of God is so important. 
It's why studying the word and going deeper than surface level is important. Because if we have wrong beliefs, that will affect how we live our lives. That will affect it. It's a little hard for us to understand in hindsight, but somehow they miss the fact that the Messiah is talked about in Scripture as a suffering servant. It's actually all over the Old Testament. Remember, Micah was serving as a prophet during about 30 years, and it was during that same time that the prophet Isaiah was prophesying as well. His book, obviously, is a lot longer. But he, Isaiah, touched on this idea of Messiah, not just being, a, not, not being this political, this army leader, this conquering general, king, but being a suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 53. In verses 3 through 6, say this, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And if you skip forward a few verses to verse 12, it says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressor, transgressors. So in the first section of this chapter of Micah chapter 5, there's a picture of the first advent of Jesus, the Messiah of God, who would come from Bethlehem, who would be that heir in the line of David that was promised to David. And there's, so there's this pretty clear picture of the first advent But then there's this clear picture of what the reign of Christ would look like upon the earth upon his second advent, upon his second coming. You know, when I was teaching the Bible, and I think I've told this story before, but when I was teaching Bible class full-time in West Des Moines at a Christian school, uh, we had students from all over the world who were part of the Iowa Wild AAA hockey program who had come to to our state, to our city to play Uh, hockey, and because of an agreement we had with the team, uh, our little small private Christian school became their educational partner so that they could have as many many of the boys, if they would have to miss to go to a tournament in Dallas or somewhere like that, they would miss the same homework, basically, and then it'd be easier for their tutor, team tutor, and all that stuff, right? So I had kids from all over the place who some of them had never cracked a Bible before. I'm, some of them, I don't even know if they'd ever held a Bible in their hands before. I just don't know, okay? Um, and, and so we're talking in Bible class one time, and I talk about how Jesus came the first time as a suffering servant, but the second time, he's coming as, back as a conquering king. And one of, the, one of the guys who is from Quebec, so he's French speaker, he's got that thick accent, he leaned back in his chair and he said, so... Does that mean we get another Christmas? And I said, no, no, it's going to be very, very different the next time. He was the suffering servant, and now he's coming as the conquering king to rule for eternity. But the Jews did not understand that. Jews didn't understand that. So we get to this second section. 
And we find that when the promised king reigns on earth, Israel will be healed. When the promised king reigns on the earth, Israel will be healed. Well, are we talking about a physical healing? Not exactly. We're talking about in three or four specific ways. That Israel will be healed. Number one, they'll be healed from finding security in the wrong things. We see that in verses 10 through 11. See, they were trusting in their army and their military might and the the strength of their national defense rather than in the Lord. They broke the covenant in this way because they were trusting in something that wasn't God. They'd put their hope in their power, not in their Lord. But when Jesus reigns on the earth, there will be no need for for, for armies anymore. There will be no need for armies to defend the people because Jesus will be their security and there will be peace. Doesn't that sound so good? We live in a world where there's not a lot of peace right now, is there? And at least not out in the world. We can have peace with Christ, of course. But man, when you read, if you skip back a chapter to Micah chapter 4, verse 3, it says, He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Imagine that. There will be peace because there will be no need for armies, no need for defense, because Jesus will be the security and the peace. Incredible. Israel will be healed from hoping in the wrong things. Number two, Israel will be healed from following unwise sources of counsel and false teachers. Verse 12, we talked about this earlier in the book of Micah, that they were following worldly counsel, ungodly counsel, and false teachers. We see that in verse 12. The people had trusted in false counsel. When Jesus reigns on the earth, all false counsel and false teaching will be destroyed. So all of the, we talk about it all the time, how important it is for us to understand what the Bible really says, what it really means, what we, what we really believe, to have right doctrine, to be able to understand when there is a false teaching that comes in. And how that false teaching sometimes can kind of seep its way into the church. It can be very deceptive. But one day, one day, all false teaching will be destroyed. All false counsel, all unwise counsel, ungodly counsel will be destroyed. And Jesus will reign supreme on the earth. Third, Israel will be healed from false worship. We're going we're gonna to go through the rest of these and we're going to talk about you and me and what this means for us. But Israel will be healed from false worship, uh, verses 13 through 14. You know, Israel and Judah had been rampant with idolatry going all the way back to the last days of the reign of of King David's son, uh, King Solomon. When Jesus finally reigns on the earth, there will be no temptation to worship anyone or anything else because Jesus will be the one ruling and reigning. He's the one true God, the King eternal, and all false prophets will be destroyed. They would be rescued. Israel would be rescued from worshiping idols when Jesus reigns on the earth. What a day that will be. When all of the things that try to catch our hearts fancy and that jockey for position in our life and try to rule our life and take God's position in our life and our hearts want to chase after those things, what a day it will be when those things are destroyed and gone. 
and there will be no more idolatry. There will be no more false teaching, no more of those things trying to distract us from Jesus because we will just be worshiping Jesus. He will be reigning. And the fourth way that Israel will be healed is, is according to this, and we get this from verse 15. They'll be rescued from their enemies. Rescued from their enemies. God will take vengeance on the nations that are not obedient to him. Now, if you are someone who comes from a background of, of God is love, God loves everyone, and yes, God is love, okay, I agree, okay? But if you're someone who comes from a background where you haven't heard um, that there are times where God executes judgment on people and nations and places, this may come as a shock or sound kind of harsh to you, but this is, this is the Bible, okay? We need to understand that it's that, that the reason that both Israel and Judah were in the situation they were in was because behind all of those national sins of idolatry, of trusting in their might and their army, trusting in partnering with pagan nations, because of all of, behind all of those national sins, hoping in the wrong thing for security and, and all of that, following false teachers, behind all of that, there's a long list of personal choices that each person had made to live lifestyles of rebellion against God. Now, not all of them. There was this faithful remnant. But behind all of those national choices, behind this idea that they had made all these choices that had broken the covenant and rejected God and were now facing the judgment as a nation, behind all that were personal choices that people had made individually. Had, they had made to live lives, excuse me, lifestyles of rebellion against God. They found their personal identity in what William Curtis describes as a lifestyle that rejected God's covenant, commands, and counsel. As a result, they did not find their identity in their position as God-fearers. They found their identity in their participation with secular culture. I'm going to read that last part again. They found their identity in their participation with secular culture. Their individual choices led to both personal and national judgment. So we're not just talking about the judgment of a nation. It would be, it's people, ultimately, who stand before God individually, right? So they would be rescued from their enemies. They would be rescued from their enemies. God would have the last word of vengeance upon their enemies. But we need to understand in that, though, that what led to this national thing was all these personal choices. Because there's not just judgment on the nation, but judgment individually. So that's heavy, Pastor. Yes, I understand that. I've been reading about it this week. It, it is heavy. But I want to I give you this. I want to sort of start to round, round, you know, third base by saying this. I've got some good news for them and good news for us. So there's good news for them, excuse me, and there's good news for us. Israel needed rescued. In fact, they still need it because they still do not accept Jesus and find their identity in him. They were in a desperate situation, and if God did not step in, they were going to be wiped off the face of the earth. And I want to tell you, friends, uh, <laughs> you know anything about the Middle East, it's still that way, right? Still, God was faithful to the covenant that he had made with Israel, even though they broke it. He was still going to be faithful. Were they going to face judgment? Yes. But there would be a faithful remnant, and through the house of David, through the line of David, would come 
the Messiah who would set all things right. They would face judgment. They would be overthrown by Babylon. But that wasn't the end. The remnant had this promise to cling to that God would keep his promise to David, that his descendant would sit on the throne of David forever. The people didn't understand that they needed to be saved, not just from the nations wanting to oppress them, but they needed to be saved from the judgment of God coming upon their personal, individual sin. They needed a Savior to rescue them. They could not rescue themselves. They needed a Savior to give them a new, blood-bought identity. They needed a king who was coming and who would come again. Friends, we are in much the same position. That, that without Jesus, prior to trusting Jesus Christ for salvation, believing the gospel and repenting of our sins, we're in the same place of being in danger of facing eternal judgment for our sin. And if Jesus didn't step in that first time when Jesus came to the earth and died in our place on the cross for our sins, if he doesn't do that, then we rightfully and justfully, and there would be everything right with it, that we would pay the price for those sins in eternal judgment. But a king came, and because he came, we can understand his restoration, his salvation. We can experience that, his rule and reign on earth with him because of his, at his second coming. The king would come first, though, as a suffering servant. He would come, he would live a perfect life. Born of a virgin, people didn't understand that either. Live this perfect life. Never sin, though he was tempted like we, uh, we are. Never sin. And willingly give that perfect life as the perfect sacrifice once and for all for the sins of the world on the cross. Standing there in the place, becoming a curse on your behalf. Indeed, cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. Indeed, he took the curse of sin, the penalty, the payment in our place. And in exchange for that, taking our sin, our curse upon himself, he gives us his righteousness, his right standing before God. It's good news. And he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave by the power of God. And I've said this many times, that proves it. That shows that God accepted that sacrifice. That God said, that's sufficient for the sin of the world. And all who believe in the good news of the gospel of Jesus, who trust in Jesus, who repent of their sin and believe the gospel, will have eternal life. Will have God's righteousness put on their account so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin anymore. He sees you with the right standing of Jesus Christ. Friends, that's enough to get excited about. Then once the full number of God's children come to trust in him, repent of their sin and believe the good news of the gospel, the king will then return and reign on the earth eternally and will set all things right. Friends, I know that there are a wild variety of beliefs and understandings of what the end times are going to look like and what revelation means and what part of Daniel means and all that. I get it. I understand that, okay? But do you believe that Jesus is returning 
Do you believe that he is coming back as he said he would? Whatever that ends up looking like, that he will return. Sin will be cast away and will be no more. But those who have been forgiven and are followers of this King Jesus, the Lord, the Christ, will, be, uh, will, will enjoy the blessings of the kingdom forevermore. Michael Bentley writes this, Those who have the assurance that their sins have been forgiven and who have dedicated their lives to the service of the Lord experience many spiritual blessings. They know security from all their fears, and they are aware of the peace of God in every area of their lives. This is the blessedness of which David sang of old. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He skips. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And he skips again. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wow. So what do we do with that? The only thing I can do right now is to call you to respond to this in some way. I'm going to invite uh, Colin and uh, Caitlin to come back up and just get ready to lead us in one final song. But in your heart, in your heart, you've been presented with the good news of Jesus, the truth of the Word of God. So in your heart, you will have a response to that. Either cry out, yes, Jesus, or a rejection of it. Ambivalence is is not really a choice. to, to, To be ambivalent about it is to reject it. Would you stand up with me? I want to I I give you three ways. Unless I get carried away and then there might be four. But three ways of what do you do with this? Of applying this? Of, of putting the paint on the fence of your life, okay? First of all, what do you need to be rescued from today? You, your life metaphorically fell in between snowy hay bales. What is it that you need to be rescued from today? Your sin? Some personal choice that was in rebellion against God? Have you made a wreck of your relationships because of your sin and you don't know how, where to go for help? Friends, run to Jesus. Believe that, you know what? He died for that sin too. It wasn't just some of them. It was all of them. And only through him can we find forgiveness for our souls, but forgiveness to give, offer to one another. He died in your place too. His sacrifice was sufficient for you and your broken relationships and your shipwrecked life. So what do you need to be rescued from today? Number two, I want to challenge you. Don't do what Israel did. Don't do what Judah did. Find your identity in Jesus Christ. Not in what you do or who other people think you are or say you are, but in who Jesus says you are and what he did on your behalf on the cross. Believe what he says and trust in him and live on it. Live on it. Number three, look forward to Jesus' return and his reign. Try to take as many people with you as you can. Be urgent and zealous, but be sure that there's a hope. Be sure that there's a hope beyond what we can see. Be urgent in living like 
it's going to happen. I read a, a quote, and gosh, I'm going to mess this up. I think it was Martin Luther that said, uh, live, like, uh, live like Jesus came yesterday, died today, and, and was raised tonight, and is coming back tomorrow, or something like that. I butchered that quote, okay? But the idea is, live now. We're not, we're not, nobody's guaranteed tomorrow, okay? One way that I would like to help you with this, okay? Try not to make this an infomercial, but one way I'd like to help you with this is our Hope Deeper, Hope Deeper Discipleship Track. I don't know, uh, Maven, if you can throw that announcement slide back up there. I want to I talk about this for just a second, and then we're going to have a time 